I had this conversation with God and I said, God, I could run so far from you right now. I could run. I said, I've seen other people who loss has just torn them away from their faith. I could run and never turn back. But I said, and I, I honestly look back now and I just think it was like prayers surmounted throughout my life that got me to be able to say this. I said, Lord, but I'm choosing to walk with you and I'm choosing to trust you because you are going to, but you are going to have to answer my questions because I have so many. I mean, I had so many questions. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us today. Today, my conversation is with Melissa Beth. She is a fellow podcaster. She is the host and producer of the Mile Marker Miracles podcast, which she initially created to talk to people who had mile marker stories. And then it took a turn after her mom's passing. And it's now on the topic of grief. And we have more things to talk about as well. So welcome, Melissa. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for joining me. And you are on the other side of the hot seat. I know. It's very weird. I like it, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's see if we can keep the the table turned this way and not the yeah. other way. <laughs> well, welcome. So I first start off sharing where you live, kind of a little bit about your upbringing. So tell us, where do you live and your upbringing? Yeah, so I have lived my whole life uh, just outside in a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Grew up in like a pretty normal home, very like Honestly, I'm so grateful for my family. I love my family so much. We're a very tight-knit family. Um, I'm the middle sister of two brothers. So I have an older brother and a younger brother. And yeah, I mean, my family, we're just, we're very close. Um, We're, uh, we have a close relationships. We, um, our community, our faith community is really close. So I grew up like very much like um, I went to, or I still do go to a synagogue and our school was part of the synagogue. So like just such a bubble, but yeah, that's kind of a little bit about just kind of my upbringing, I guess. Thank you. And so it's you and then you're, you have two brothers. What mm-hmm. are their names? You have my older brother is Michael and my younger brother is Josh. Josh. And then your mom's name is Linda. Mm-hmm. And then your dad, my dad is Steve. Steve. Okay. So who has been a fan favorite on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's my dad as well. My dad is probably the person who's listened to the most. Oh, you mean your fans are favorite. Oh yeah. Your fans favorite. My dad has been on a few episodes and every time people are like, get Steve back. (laughs) I'm glad you got your dad on your podcast. I have not gotten mine on mine. He's the listener, but daddy, if you're listening, daddy. All right. So Melissa, tell us then a little bit of your journey of mile marker and then when you started making the podcast and then yeah. more about your mom. We'll kind of go yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I actually my whole life wanted to be a teacher. Um my mom was a teacher. My mom was a teacher and a principal and actually started two schools um that both my brothers and I went through and So I just always had a heart for teaching and I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but my younger brother, Josh has down syndrome. And so I saw how his schooling was, especially because he went through my mom's school and it was a little bit of a smaller private school. And so it was able to be kind of more tailored to his needs and just in general, the school, because it was a little bit of a smaller school. I mean, like we, the school that I went to for elementary school and middle school at its peak, it was preschool through 12 at its peak. It was like 
200 kids. Like it was super small. And I just saw how education could be done well. And I love, I have a heart for teaching. I have a heart, I have a passion for, as as I got older, a passion for kids. And so it was pretty obvious from a pretty young age that I was going to go to school for education and teaching. Um, So I went to college, undergrad, and then my master's for um, elementary ed and special ed and got my master's in special ed and autism studies. And I was a teacher straight out of college. I was very fortunate to get a teaching job. At that point, it was very rare to get a teaching job straight out of college. Um, and I taught for seven years. And I really, I thrived. It became a huge part of my identity. And in 2019, it had kind of built up that the school that I was working at, for a number of reasons, it just wasn't a fit for me. I was really under a lot of pressure, as I think teachers always are, but this felt kind of to the extreme from all sides. And I was experiencing major burnout. I had never had panic attacks before. I was having panic attacks on like a weekly basis. It was really unhealthy and I would almost say very toxic. It very turned very toxic. I kind of was told a little bit to resign. So in leaving that, I knew I needed a change. And I knew podcasting had kind of always been on my mind, partially because I love to talk. And I really just love hearing people's stories. I love um, hearing about why people are the way they are, how they got to where they are in life, um, and kind of seeing how, when I talk to people about it, how I can learn from them and, you know, how I can implement the things that they've learned and gone through in my own life as inspiration. So when I left teaching and I suddenly had so much more time, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll start looking into creating a podcast where I just do that. I ask people their stories. I hear, you know, how they became who they are today, the the mile markers that got them there and can serve as inspiration for everybody. I think we all need kind of the encouragement sometimes to be better and So I am a little bit of a perfectionist. It took me a long time to really look into it. I took a course and the whole nine. And finally I said, okay, I'm going to record the pilot episode and just like get six episodes in the can and like draft them and be ready and then take my time for forever. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And instead of drafting the first episode, I published it. And one of my very loyal friends found it and like blasted it on social media. Oh my gosh, Melissa has a podcast. You guys have to listen. And I was like, I'm not ready. You would have, you would have probably never been. Oh, but here's probably. the, exactly. And here's the beautiful part about it. That was the very end of December of 2020. And I remember it was like December 30th. And I freaked out. First of all, I asked him, I was like, can you take that down? I'm like, I don't need people knowing about this yet. But I then went to my mom and I said, mom, I need you to record an episode with me like stat, like ASAP. I'd already been planning on having her on the podcast, but it probably wouldn't have been for another six months. And I was like, she'd been diagnosed yet. So my mom, yeah. So my mom was diagnosed in 2013 with breast cancer, with metastatic breast cancer, which I mean, I'll get into it, but she is just, she was so the strongest person I know, like so full of faith, so full of strength. So like gift, everything you could say, like the most of everything she was. Um, And so I knew I wanted to have her on to tell her story because she really through her whole cancer diagnosis believed so strongly for her healing. She believed so strongly in not letting it overtake her, like just so such an inspiration in every sense of the word. So I knew I wanted to have her on to talk about that. And I was like, mom, come on. I got it. She was like, okay. So we recorded an episode like first week of January, second week of January, she went into the hospital and had to have a major surgery, start very heavy chemo drugs. She was on like a chemo pill at that point, start very heavy chemo, like IV and was kind of never the same. And six months later in June, 2021, she passed away. 
and I got two mu- two episodes. My first two episodes, other than my pilot, were with her. And had I think about that so much and what a blessing it was that my friend, that I was an idiot in podcasting <laughs> and just published an episode and that my loyal friend found it and kind of forced me to have to record these episodes with her. It was such a blessing. Mm. So that's kind of how it began what I call the first iteration where the first 15 episodes were me talking with people, mostly my friends and my family, like people that I think are incredibly inspiring and have incredible stories, just kind of talking about their stories and kind of hearing about who, how they became who they are today. And then when grief hit, it took a little bit of a different turn. Oh man. Like, yeah, what a, a beautiful gift that you were given to be pushed into the water, yeah, <laughs> into, into the water without you being ready, because then it was a whole uh, unfolding of all these different yeah. opportunities that you had then of being able to be have your mom on your podcast. Now, when it took a turn, when your mom died, then in June, you had already been doing these type of interviews. Mm-hmm. Did you stop recording at that moment? And what was your grief journey? What were some of the things you used in mourning? Did you you do some of the rituals in your faith and so forth? If you can share. Yeah. Um, I, so we very much, my family, like I said, we are a family of faith. We Really, I mean, my mom really led the charge, but my dad and I have talked about it since, and we really, I really feel like God really used that to inspire faith in us, in that she really believed she would be healed. She believed that um, this would not overtake her. And and it's interesting because people, I had somebody say to me after she passed that they sort of felt like my mom had a false faith or sort of a fake faith. And I really, I reject that like I really believe that her faith was true it was authentic she was not in denial she had faith I mean faith is the evidence of things we cannot see and so she really believed for that and so you know even when we were the last week of her life she passed away June 24th 2021 so the week leading up to that she was in the hospital she um was having her lung was filling up with fluid. Um, there was a lot of different things that the cancer was causing and she was in the hospital. And um, so we were fortunately, luckily able to be with her pretty much every day while she was in the hospital, we were able to go in, which I think back now for so many who lost people during COVID 2020, I cannot imagine not being able to be there because um, those were days that I will always be grateful that I was able to be with her. And even, even honestly, I mean, I remember her last day, we got called in in the morning because her lung had collapsed. She was non-responsive. Um, and we sat with her. She ended up passing away around 930 at night. We literally sat with her all day. And I remember just holding her hand the whole day. And I, I even then believed, like my faith was so strong that I was like, Lord, I know you can heal her. I know you can raise her from the dead, even if she dies. Like I... I was so sure and confident. And so I remember clear as day the night, like we watched her take her last breath. My older brother who lives in another state came in. Uh, He was there the last like four days when we knew things were getting really dire. And um, we watched her take her last breath and the whole process came where they, you know, declared, that it was true. And I remember still being like, no, like she is going to rise from the dead. Like, and it, I know for some that might sound insane. Like that might sound crazy. Like, are you kidding me? She, she's died. I just believed in miracles and I still do. It took a hit, but I, so we, I remember going home and just feeling like there was this cannonball sized hole that had shot through my stomach. Like for reference, my mom, my mom and I were best friends, like so close. We were so similar. We were, 
I mean, I'm the only girl. So we had a special bond in that way. We just were honestly in so many ways so similar. And we really just loved being with each other. And she was not only my best friend, she was my mentor. She was my biggest cheerleader. Like the loss, I don't know if I'll ever experience a loss greater than my mom, you know, passing away. And so I just remember that first couple of days just being like, there was a huge chunk of me that was missing. And I just remember being like, there is no way, there's no way this can't, this can't be real. Like, and I, and I remember them probably interesting. Again, my dad and I have talked about this before. I've watched, we recorded her funeral um, because we had had it on Zoom in case people couldn't come. And so we got the recording of it and I probably watched it a hundred times. And my dad's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, because it was the day where the whole world stopped for my mom and for us. And everybody, everybody's trains were parked together at the grief station. And I, I, it was the day where all we did was talk about my mom, which is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. And so I remember the first like three days as a, as probably all grief is, was kind of like not real. Like it wasn't, it was such a whirlwind. We were making arrangements, you know, the whole nine. And so I think even maybe the first the first four days, I think her her funeral was, she passed away on a Thursday. Her funeral was on a Monday. So that, and that whole time was just not real. Like it was, but it was also just like, what? What is happening? No, this can't be real. This is a dream. And I remember even the day after her funeral, I said, oh, she's not coming back. Like she's, she's gone. And the first month I was just numb. I was so numb. I, I just was like, it was like, I was just walking in a fog. I was so numb to like, what is happening? I now have to like live this life without her. I don't even know what that looks like. Like I would go to my mom for everything. I mean, I live in the same house with her. So I would just walk in the next room and be like everything. I wouldn't walk out of the house unless she like approved of my outfit. Like that we were just that close. And I just had this moment of just like, I I remember it was like a month later. I just, I got like, I got angry with God. And I, I was like, I don't think I'd read my Bible in a month, like the whole nine. And I, I just said, I could, I really could, I I had this conversation with God and I said, God, I could run so far from you right now. I could run. I said, I've seen other people who loss has just torn them away from their faith. I could run and never turn back. But I said, and I, I honestly look back now and I just think it was like prayers surmounted throughout my life that got me to be able to say this. I said, Lord, but I'm choosing to walk with you and I'm choosing to trust you because you are going to, but you are going to have to answer my questions because I have so many. I mean, I had so many questions. Like if we believed for healing, why wasn't she healed? Why did I at 32 years old have to lose my mom? You know, all these questions or 31, I guess I was at that point. All these questions. And it's interesting because I, my mentality in general is I am a very go-getter type of person. And I, my sister-in-law actually was the one that said, she was like, you're really attacking grief head on. And I was like, yeah, like I'm going to feel everything. I'm not going to suppress anything. If I'm feeling terrible, I'm going to let myself feel terrible. If I'm feeling good, I'm going to let myself feel good. I'm like, I'm not. And I, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a good friend whose dad had passed away a few years prior and she said, she was like, I didn't do that. And I now, three years later, everything is coming back times 10. And I was like, I, I will not let that be me. Cause it's like a pressure cooker sometimes. Like that's what I kind of related to. It's like, just, yeah. just locked in there and it has to come mm-hmm. out some, 
somehow. Totally. So I, I do always say just kind of go with, go with the, go the, go with the flow, just navigate each wave as it comes. And sometimes it sneaks up in the most unexpected ways and for unexpected reasons that it comes up. But that was, that was what you did. So you're having then this conversation then with God, wanting then your answers, yeah, your questions answered as to all these things that you could not understand. What was, what were some of these moments that mm. kind of started to sprinkle in through your life that gave you some kind of either, I don't know, piece of yeah. mind or, or, or understanding of the questions you wanted answered? Yeah, well, I had three, four pretty major questions that I asked. Um, one, actually, it's two, three of them were almost like requests, like, Lord, I need this. <laughs> they weren't even questions. One was actually, um, I remember my mom had mentioned and other people had mentioned um, after she passed that when she was younger, like in her 20s and all of her friends were starting to get married, she had written up a list. This is before Pinterest. She had written up a list of like six months out, you should do this. Five months out, you should do this. Four months out, you should do this. This whole nine. And I said, I need to find that list. I'm not married yet. I need to have that list for when I do get married. And I said, Lord, find me that list. I don't know where it is. And I asked everybody that could possibly have it. Nobody had it. So six months later, I'm cleaning out our hot mess of a basement and every bin and every, I mean, my mom had like textbooks down there from the school, the whole thing. And I'm going through the books. I'm just like mindlessly flipping through the pages, whatever. And a a stack of loosely folded up papers fall out. And I said, what is that? And I opened it up and it was the list of what that she had written in her handwriting on lined paper of what you do when you get married. And I just, it was things like that. There was something else that I asked God. I said, God, part of her story and how her testimony, I said, I, I forget that line. I want to know that line. And three months later, I was going through something on her phone, on a note in her phone, and she had written out her testimony and had that line in there. And it- what yeah. is a testimony? Explain a te- that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. A testimony is a story of kind of how you came to know God and how God saved you. Crazy things like that. And honestly, also, you had asked earlier about the podcast. Like I, the first episode back, I took a break for a couple months. I just didn't have the bandwidth to do it, honestly. And then I felt, you know, I'm going to kind of use this podcast as my space to process in a way. I was also seeing a counselor. And so thankfully I had that space to process as well. I uh, signed up for counseling and therapy literally like three days after she passed because I was like, I need a place to talk. Um, And that was so incredible. So I am so grateful for, I'm not seeing this counselor anymore, but the first six months I talked with somebody and that was incredible and exactly what I needed. So I highly recommend counseling, but also the first episode I did back on the podcast was I just chronicled in very raw form. No intro, no outro, no music, nothing, no edits. I chronicled her last six months of life um, and I just talked through it and I cried and I had long pauses and it was what I needed. And then I, the next series of episodes were me just talking about my mom and talking about the lessons that I've learned from her and talking about the things that I've been learning in grief. And it's honestly, I credit a huge piece of my healing and my kind of putting the pieces in some sense, as much as you can kind of back Mm -hmm. together to having that space to just sit behind a microphone, not worried about anybody around me and just kind of processing and and talking about my mom and just you know kind of being able to share as long as I needed to because no one was stopping me you know or having a weird look on their face or anything you know so yeah those were some of the things I mean I also asked God like why did she have to die why wasn't she healed and I really feel like I've gotten a lot of peace and a lot of answers in those questions 
The part of being able to process and being able to then share with someone, whether it was your therapist or with a microphone, mm-hmm. with a community, was then one of these steps for you, was that aspect of just kind of taking it out, one of these uh, tools that you used. Now, in the release of your podcast, and you already had your Instagram account and probably had already started a community for that, right? Yeah. How did that start shifting as you started to post more podcasts regarding than your own grief journey? And what kind of a community did you start mm-hmm. creating because you shared your story? Honestly, it took off beyond what I could have expected. Not necessarily, interestingly enough, not necessarily in quantity, which is, I think, interesting to note, but in quality. And I had probably, I can think now, four or five different people, friends of mine and people that kind of were created in this online community, basically say to me, because not only was I sharing things about my mom, but I was sharing just things about grief. You know, what do you say to somebody who's grieving? What do you not say to somebody who's grieving? You know, what are the things to understand about what grief feels like? Just sharing kind of the things I was going through, I figured they were going to help somebody else. And I had probably four or five people say to me, they started listening to my podcast, three of which were my friends. So they said they started listening because they were just my friends and they were supporting me. And two of which saying they just kind of found it and they started listening. And then after they had listened, a couple episodes, they found themselves in a situation of grief, whether it was um, one of my friends very suddenly lost her cousin, one of my friends, like his good friend's father passed away, like different people where they were then like thrown into grief. And they were like, honestly, Melissa, I knew how to show up and I knew how to process because of your podcast. And to me, that is the most humbling and beautiful and meaningful thing that I could have ever expected to come out of this is that people know, I mean, I say the pillars of my podcast are faith, grief, personal growth, and supporting your people well. And supporting your people well, like how do we do that in grief? So honestly, that that community of people and and how this podcast and talking about grief and being really um we were talking before about just kind of like not caring about what we look like and not caring about like showing up perfect that not showing up perfect i think has been and just being so honest and authentic i mean i'm a very open book and so i think sharing a lot of that has given others the wording and the the knowledge about grief and about how to show up for others in that. And that has been the most beautiful part of this podcast and of this community. You, you had mentioned at the beginning of when you were going to launch your podcast, how you were so perfectionist that you were waiting <laughs> to have it perfect. And yet right now you said that one of the biggest gifts has been to be able to show up in a way that is not perfect or in the view. So how then has that shifted? You know, you, right now you just shared something that's something that's changed within you. Yeah. So what does Melissa look like now in ways of your growth and who you are that Mm. are different? Cause it, of course it, changes who we are and how we kind of display it. So what other aspects aside from not showing up? (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know how much you or anybody else knows about the Enneagram, but the Enneagram is sort of, yeah. So I'm like a typical three. Uh, I still don't, I've taken it and I know, I know what I came up to be, but then I still doubt myself because I heard that a lot of I'm a two, supposedly, but I heard okay. that a lot of moms end up showing up as a two when because they just show up for everybody else. Yes, that so makes, that, that could make so sense. I would have to kind of take it again and see if that is. Yeah, that's enough. interesting. But it's it was interesting because it's how then grief can even uh, mm-hmm. enter. You know how right how we grief based on an enneagram is also different. So go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Well, You're no, it's three. interesting because I'm a typical three, which is a total overachiever. Like has to be the best, has to be perfect. Like that's just sort of my type. And, and, and it can have some beautiful 
you know, kind of purposes and that you want to make things really great for other people. But I, for most of my life was just, I mean, I've, I've lost track of how many times people have told me how intimidating I am. Like how many times I've just been like, people are like, you know, because again, another thing I think sometimes with an Enneagram three, but also just with me as I was, I didn't want to come across as a mess. And that came that with that came, I didn't want to show heavy emotion. I didn't want to show my flaws. And so I think, you know, things happened in my life, I guess, in the last maybe six years where I was like, okay, like life isn't perfect all the time. It's okay to be a mess. Everybody's a mess. But I think I was still walking in this, like, I want to, I want to prove my worth. I want to, I want to earn it. I want to earn my worth. I want to earn people wanting to be in my life. And I think in grief, I realized that you can't control any of that. And I actually, I had a friend say to me a couple months into grief, she was like, you just feel so much softer. And I think part of that was I, like I said before, I mean, I'm super close with my whole family, but my mom particularly and I, I think maybe as the girls and maybe as just being really similar, I think I relied on her so much that I maybe didn't necessarily have to figure things out for myself. And now that she's not here, Obviously, I have my dad who's incredible um, and I have my brothers who are amazing, but I'm having to figure things out on my own um, and for myself. You know, my mom was kind of my greatest mentor um, and I have other people who serve that purpose, but not in the way she did. And so I think in navigating that for myself, I've really had to, I've figured out what it looks like to stand on my own two feet um, and not be so reliant on other people. And also I was always such a giver and I still am. I'm very much like I want to give to other people, but in grief, it was very hard for me because I had nothing to give and I had to learn how to receive, which was very hard for me. (laughs) And one of my best friends was like, you realize it's because you're so used to just giving that now you have to learn how to receive. And so I think that me now is a much more grounded, much more I am who I am kind of a person. Like I will just cry and I don't really care if other people see it, you know, or if it makes other people uncomfortable. I'll talk about things that aren't so like bow perfectly tied. And I just am sort of like, not in any sort of like, yeah, take it or leave it, but just in sort of a like, this is who I am and I'm really proud of it. I put in a lot of work, gone through a lot of ups and downs to get here and I'm really proud of who I am. I'm a really, I think I'm the healthiest version of myself that I've ever been. Mm. Well, I didn't know Melissa prior, but I, I the former, but I know <laughs> this one and it's beautiful to see this and thank you for sharing all those moments of growth. Now you said that one of the favorite things that you love to do is sharing or talking about your mom. So share with us some of these moments uh, or a couple moments about your mom and who she was and who she still is for you. Yeah. Your best friends, what are some of the moments that you recall and maybe within that if you'd like to also share a little bit with regarding your brother as well yeah so my mom it's interesting as I've I've met you know people since her passing and I've had to describe her to them I've realized and I said it a little bit earlier but um everything that you'll say you would say like oh they're the most this she is like she truly truly had a gift of encouragement a gift, like beyond anybody else. She just knew how to encourage people. She would consistently write me cards, like, and just on a random Tuesday, just because she wanted to encourage me. And she would write some very heartfelt letter in it and end it by telling me how proud she was of me. And she was so intentional, very intentional. When I was teaching every single day on my drive home, I worked an hour away (laughs) and every single day on my drive home, I would call her and we would just process through the events of the day together. 
And she once told me that she always kept her kept herself available during that hour. So she would never miss my call. And she was also as kind and sweet and loving as she was. She was also very sure of herself, very confident and okay in expressing what she knew was right and not compromising her beliefs and really encouraging other people to kind of rise up in that as well. Um, She, I mean, honestly, was like a straight A student her whole life. She was just so brilliant. She taught everything from calculus to kindergarten um just an incredible incredible person beautiful like stunningly beautiful jet black hair her whole life like i could go on and another thing that she was so just had such a heart for was advocacy um and particularly uh my brother so my brother like i said my brother josh is almost 30 he likes to remind me that on a pretty daily basis um <laughs> which is not okay for me cuz he's my little baby brother but um, he, uh, was, he has Down syndrome and we didn't really know until the night before he was born, you know, 30 years ago, the health and medicine wasn't what it is today. And, um, he almost didn't make it. That's a story in and of itself. He ended up, we found out after he was born that he had a wall in or a hole in the wall of his heart. And so he at three months old had to have open heart surgery I mean, his life truly is a miracle in so many senses. They thought he had some other disability where he basically wouldn't have lived to be a year. And he's just, they they told my parents, the doctors told my parents that um, they should let the baby, this is direct quote, they should let my the baby expire with the birth because his life would be incompatible with life outside the womb. I don't like that word expire. So I don't expire, like it. I don't expire like it. Is, expire is how they shared the news of my sister <gasps> as well over the phone when I, when I called the hospital. <sighs> Because I was not in the same state. And I was like, I had never heard it in that way. English is, well, I grew up with both languages, but technically it's right. as if it's my second. And so I was like, expired. That's what the food is. So right, sorry. Like, that's what I milk had, is. No, yeah, I don't, I don't I, like I, it either. I don't like yeah, it in any so I, sense. And I can't believe, I can believe that. And, and so you, so he basically this, he is a miracle. He's a miracle. He's a miracle. And, and so much so because of my mom just believing that there was no ceiling for him. Like there was no set. I remember she, at one point we were talking to another parent of a child with a disability. And that parent was like, I'll just be happy if my kid works at McDonald's. My mom was like, not me. I want my son to have like all the opportunities in the world. And so my brother has truly exceeded so many expectations. He has an office job that he works at. He just has, I think is just such a living, breathing like example of just, honestly of just an incredible life and I think just someone that is so worth just inclusion and advocacy um and obviously has affected so much of my life has made me into so much of the person that I am today so much so that I wrote a children's book about him <laughs> um Yes, yeah, so go ahead and say what it's called. So yes, yeah, so it's called The Ups and Downs of a Very Special Superhero. And it kind of came about, the long story short is when I was teaching, I always, I was teaching, when I was a teacher, I was, uh, over my time, I taught kindergarten first and second, not all at once, but over my time. And I always wanted to teach the kids about Down syndrome. And I could never find a book that, the books that I was finding were either like basically science textbooks. And they were like, this is a chromosome and this is, you know, or they were just the story just so happened to have somebody with Down syndrome in it, but they didn't really explain what that was or anything. And I thought, okay, fine. I can't find a book that merges the two. I'll just write one. And so that was another thing after I left teaching that I wrote this book. And it basically teaches in a really beautiful, kind of engaging, fun story what Down syndrome is. And also it talks about how all the characteristics that somebody has when they have Down syndrome makes them a superhero. And then it also talk it in kind of the end, it's written from a sister's perspective about a brother, no surprise. And it, the sister learns how she can also be a superhero through including those who seem different and who have disabilities. And so it's a really beautiful way to teach kids who don't have disabilities, how they can include those who do um, and show kindness. That is 
Amazing. Now, to get that book, is it only on your website, Barnes & Noble, online? Right now, you... yeah, right now it's only on my website, which okay. is specialupsanddowns.com. Okay, so make sure to send me that link yeah. as well so that I link it at the bottom of the, I definitely the show will. notes. I want to ask you in your own perspective, because I asked you this before we started recording. When you were a kid, you said you guys found out just the night, like the day before your brother was born. Yeah. Uh, about his, his uh, diagnosis, I don't know, what do you call it? Yeah, diagnosis. Yeah. Diagnosis, okay. He, uh, you were about how old then? About four? I was, yeah, I was almost four. I was three four? and a half. Okay. How did your parents explain it to you Yeah. At, at that time? So they were very upfront. So my older brother at the time too was like seven, I think seven and a half. And so for us, they really were honest. They were very honest of like, they kind of gave an age-appropriate description of chromosomes, which I kind of give in the book as well, and how, you know, he has an extra chromosome and what they were really honest about. And I remember my mom specifically talking about this is how we should treat him. I mean, we were in love with him from the start. We didn't know any different, honestly. We just thought he was the cutest little baby. We wanted to hold him all the time and just love him as any older sibling would. Um, but I remember something they said to us, often like very often especially as we got older they often especially my mom said to us people aren't going to know how to treat josh and they're going to look to you as the example and so treat him the way that you want other people to treat him and they will follow and so that was always in my mind and in my older brother's mind as well of like we are the example and we should treat him in a way that we want him to be treated not just because we adore him and we love him, but because we want other people to feel that way too. And so that for us growing up was really the way that it was talked about was he is a blessing to our family as our, as am I and as of my older brother, you know, and really just, we were in so many ways included in, I mean, I remember countless times going with my mom to take him to therapies, to physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. We went to, we got involved right away in a local Down syndrome family group. Um, we went to Special Olympics, the sports activities. And so we were just really immersed in this world of Down syndrome that it was just very normal to us. It was very normal that not everybody is exactly the same. It was very normal that some people need more patience and inclusion um, than others. So that was kind of the way, but I think in general, my parents were just very honest, which is what I encourage parents to be with kids about Down syndrome is just to be honest and to, to you know, not dance around it. And, and you said something really key there to be honest in anything that you have to share with your children. And you also said age appropriate yeah. and the age. Yeah. You can always find ways to then add to that story. Like, yes. As they get older. Yeah. As they get older, you can add the other pieces that they can understand. Totally. So that is very important. The, the aspect of community is showing up so much in this conversation. Yeah. Your Facebook, faith-based community, the community you guys had as well with with your brother and the Down syndrome community. Now, community in your grief space, did you also go or any of your family members go to any grief support groups or did you mainly create your own grief support groups? Yeah, we kind of created our own grief groups. Unfortunately, in our within our synagogue, a lot of people my age have lost a parent. And so for me, there I would say there's probably maybe five others. We're at that point. I mean, since then, unfortunately, others have passed away too. And so there's more. But I would say there's probably five other families that have a parent who has passed away. And so I think we just kind of created – I wouldn't even say created. We just continued on in the community, in our synagogue, and in our group of people. I think we're very fortunate in that, that we have a very strong built-in community. I remember somebody saying to me, you know, we may be a month into grief, and we were still getting meals. We were still having people come over to help around the house, like still having people check in. And someone was like, you know, that's rare. Like that 
stops pretty soon after in most cases. And so I think for us, we didn't end up doing any sort of grief groups, not for any opposition or whatever, but we just felt we kind of had a built-in community in a sense already. Yeah, that that makes sense. You yeah, imagine adding more adding more to your list of uh, of <laughs> groups to go to since you already had it. Okay, now I always like to ask people what are some of the things you still are like wanting to share that I have not asked. I would say as far as like for me, I I think something that's really important is just being honest to other people about what I need. And what, do you think, what things, like what were some of these things that you like, I need, like you mentioned, <laughs> people would come into your home and even clean your home. Yeah. You know, so what kind of things would you request from your friends and ask? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I was, I've been very honest about from the start is I want people to talk about my mom because I knew before I lost my mom and I had friends that experienced death in the family, I was always very nervous to bring it up because I didn't want to make them sad. And when I then lost my mom, I realized that it felt weird if, especially in the sort of immediate grief, but even still, I mean, I'm, we're two and a half years since my mom passed. And still, if somebody like will text me a story about my mom or something that they're thinking of that reminds them of her or ask a question like, you know, I was recently at a wedding and, you know, not having my mom at my future wedding is something that I kind of dread. And a friend turned to me and was like, I just want you to know, like, if this is hard for you, like, that's okay. And I think just kind of having people recognize that, I think that's something that I really encourage the support systems to do. Um, what else? There was something I thought of and it's completely escaped my brain right now. No, what you just said right there that your friend actually acknowledged that you could be fe feeling that way it, and and it's like you feel seen, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we are in society, mm -hmm. we, like you said, we get so nervous because if I bring it up, then what am I going to do if she starts crying? We're right. at a wedding. Right. Like what if, but if she doesn't say that, then... It's hard. You feel like you're alone. Yeah. yeah. So I just remembered the other thing I was going to say. Okay. I think the other thing I, the other thing that I really made sure of within myself is that I was, I didn't take on a victim mentality. I think that has been a big thing in, not just in grief, like, oh, you know, a victim mentality because I lost my mom, but in the days since then. So I, I think even with a strong community of people, there are days where you feel overlooked or there are days where you're pouring into somebody else in the family or your friends and they're not pouring into you. In grief, it can be really easy to take on a victim mentality. And I think something that I have really tried to stand strong in is to not let myself take on a victim mentality. Um, and that has been really helpful because then when there are days where I'm like, I'm giving to everybody else and nobody's giving to me or, you know, my mom would have been the one, blah, blah, blah. I can just say, Melissa, you're not a victim. You're mm -hmm. not a victim. Something happened to you that was insanely hard and awful and nobody should have to walk through it, but you're strong and you're a warrior and you can make it through this day. Like that has been so powerful. And I like how you're saying you can make it through this day mm -hmm. because it is really sometimes moment by moment, totally. day by day, then yeah. it might become week by week. So just looking at it just as in that moment yeah. and those words of affirmation help you as well in that. Yeah. Melissa, I am so grateful that you've come on here and sat on the other side of the table <laughs> and shared this in this conversation, not only about your mom, but also your brother, Josh, and your own thoughts and emotions. And I wanted to ask you, what are ways in which people now can reach you, not only your podcast, but get to know you, your yeah. community? Yeah. So my podcast is Mile Marker Miracles. I am Mile Marker Miracles almost everywhere. I haven't ventured into the TikTok world yet, but 
Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, Pinterest. I don't do much on Pinterest, but I'm there. Mostly, it's mostly Instagram that I'm pretty active on. So at Mile Marker Miracles. And then as far as the book, special ups and downs, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. I just figured, why not get a Pinterest in there? (laughs) And if somebody were to listen then to your podcast, Mm -hmm. which like, are there any particular episodes or would you like me to link them below that maybe share a little bit further about your story? Would we link maybe the one you said in which you shared about the six, the you know, the six, six months. months. Yeah. That's a, I think that's one of the ones that you'll get to know me and my mom and our journey the best. I also think episode two, the first episode I did with my mom and oof, like if you're like, oh, is, did her, is her mom really that great? Listen to episode two and you'll be like, yep, she is. <laughs> um, those are two of my favorites. And I love because you can listen to her voice and mm-hmm. her thoughts. That is just so precious to have that type of memory. It's the best. Oh. I love it. It took me a while to listen to it after she passed. I was like, I can't. I'm not ready. Even though that. you watched the funeral a hundred times. I know. But the funeral, she wasn't. I don't know. I know. It's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean because it's a part of the voice, right? You're hearing yeah. something that's going to trigger a whole other type of emotions in that moment yeah. that sometimes it's just different. So I, yeah. I, I, I get it. I get it. I was just- <laughs> but yeah, those are the two episodes. And honestly, I mean, I've done a couple episodes about how to support people. So if there's something you're having a question in about grief, it's probably there. But I would say to start with episode two or episode 16. Perfect. Thank you again, Melissa. And again, this was Melissa Beth. And you can find her on all the links that are listed <laughs> below. So thank you so much again. Thank you. This was great. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, If you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.